this is all new to me. This is going to be very good for my ADD this morning. <laughs> I'm going to be like all over the place. They need one on the back for you. That would be that would be good. That one. <laughs> yes. Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee, and it's my pleasure and privilege to welcome you this morning. Whether you are with us here in person or on the live stream, we are thrilled you've chosen to worship with us. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we hope you got the goodie bag as you came in. We're glad that you are here. And we would encourage all of you, so if you're on the end of a row, we're going to ask you to kind of get this started. We have friendship pads, and this is for visitors and members and regular attenders alike. Get that started, uh, sign in, and then pass it down to your friend. It gives us the opportunity to just get to know you, to reach out, to develop, hopefully, a friendship with you. Several different announcements that I want to share with you. Uh, Lynn, today's the deadline, right? They still have time. We could put the countdown back up for how much time that they have in terms of what I'm talking about here is a women's ministry event on the 24th, so that's this coming Thursday, uh, to Macon and to the Cherry Blossom Festival. And so, ladies, you're all invited and sign up either on the sign-up sheet or contact Lynn Folks, who's sitting up here, who's the director of the women's ministry uh, for that, but today is the deadline so that they can organize in terms of that. Inquirer's class, that is coming up on Friday evening, April 1st, and Saturday, April 2nd. The deadline to sign up for that is this coming Friday. I know the bulletin says Tuesday, but it's Friday, March 25th. Just RSVP to the church office if you have an interest in that. Holy Week is coming up, and we're real excited this year uh, as we are entering into, we'll have a Monday Thursday service. We will also have a service at noon on Good Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, we will start at 9 a.m. with an Easter brunch. My good friend Brent Johansson, raise your hand, Brent. See that guy? He's going to be outside by the sign-up sheet. Now, I even brought this with me. Look at this. This is the coolest sign-up sheet I've ever seen. You sign up and you decide what to bring. Now, I like casseroles, and so we suggest 18, but I don't know what the rest of y'all are going to have. And I also like bacon, so whatever you want to put bacon in, Brent's going to be back there and going, sign up for more bacon. The point being, this is so well organized, this is like a well-oiled machine, but we do need your help 
even on things like setting up, which they'll be doing the day before on the 16th, and help with cleanup. So after the service, and yes, I'm going to repeat this every Sunday between now and Easter, okay, sign up on that. Now, I have been repeating for other sign-up sheets for the past, nursery and communion helpers. We still need help in both of those areas, and so we would encourage you to sign up on the sign-up sheets for that. We have, I'll just point this out, you can read this, a uh, building of Sheds of Hope coming up, not this week, but next week, so note the dates and the times for that. And something I told Yvonne, we're going to start to really push a little bit more. It's a way we can stay connected. I don't know if you knew we had a mobile app you can put on your phones. Now, you might use a flip phone. I don't know how many still use it. It's still, but if you have a smart, if you've jumped into the iPhone, Android world, you could put this right on your phone. It is called Realm Connect. And it is a way to do everything from having the church directory to checking in to knowing who the ministry leaders are to looking at the calendar. This thing will even feed you the bacon on Easter morning if you want. This is a powerful app. So it does just about everything. You want to download, and if you need help, come into the office. I guarantee you Megan and Yvonne will help you out with that. So did I make announcements fun? I try to, you know, this is kind of our pre-work. We're not into worship yet. We try to have, have fun with this. But now we are moving into our time of worship. And so as the prelude is played, I want to encourage you to prepare your hearts, to meditate on the glory of the Lord. He is calling us into his presence this morning.
We are here this morning because God has taken the initiative and called us to worship Him, called us into His very presence this morning. So we want to bring our whole selves before the presence of God. Bring your doubts, bring your fears, bring your joys, bring your sorrows, bring your entire self, wherever you are, whatever kind of week you've had, whatever is upcoming in your life, bring it before the God who loves you and understands and enters in. Our call to worship is from Psalm 66, verses 1 to 4. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Father, we invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to join with us that we may join with all the earth in shouting for joy to you, to exalting you at your footstool, to praising your holy name. We pray that you would open the eyes of our heart and open our eyes that we would see the wonder and the beauty and the glory of Christ and that we would leave here changed, no longer the same, transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your deeds are awesome. You're great. Your power is great. So we worship you and we sing praise to you, to your name, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Let's stand in the of God, singing together the great hymn of the faith, How Great Thou Art.
Sunday, right? <laughs> when Isaiah went into the temple and saw the glory of God, in one sense, how, you know, there is a rhythm to worship. We begin with praise. We begin with, after God calls us to worship, we are confronted with the glory of God. When Isaiah went into the temple, it says, the text says he saw the Lord. And he saw the seraph and the cherubim flying around, and they were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What happened next in Isaiah's heart? He was confronted with his own sin. So in the rhythm of worship, as we are, in a sense, retelling the gospel story, it begins with God, but then it descends into seeing our own need, the human condition, the sin of our own heart. And so, friends, we are going to have a time of confession of sin. And our need of confession this morning is out of Psalm 130, the first three verses, where the psalmist cries out, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now listen to verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Now we know that in Christ we're already forgiven for our sin. So why do we confess, both individually and corporately? Because we continue to sin. Anybody out here not sin? Even this moment... This very moment, we're sinning in that we're not loving God with every ounce of our being. And if the wages of sin is death, sin is always alienating us from God and breaking fellowship. So a time of repentance, a time of turning our hearts back to the Lord, a time of confession is not meant to get us into a relationship with Christ. It is to restore our enjoyment and communion of him. So I invite you to take a few moments and meditate upon the Lord. Examine your own life. Examine your own heart where you are with the Lord. Have a time of personal confession. And then in just a few moments, we will pray together. So I will begin and you join with me. We will pray together this corporate prayer of confession. Let's pray. Let us pray together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. 
open to us a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world, amen. And friends, I now pronounce upon you the assurance of pardon. The psalmist says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be fearful. Friends, I want you to hear and receive that with the Lord, by his grace, you can be forgiven. Past, present, and future. After Isaiah received the grace of the Lord, he could hear the counsel of the Lord sending him out. He could hear he was received back into communion with God and he was able to praise God. Let us, having been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, do the same, standing and singing together. We will feast at the house of Zion.
Let us go to the Lord now in a time of prayer, praying together in unison the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are our Father, and that you are our King, that you are the Lord our God, that we belong not to ourselves, but we belong, body and soul, to you that you have us in the palm of your hands, that you love us, that you protect us, that you care for us, that you meet us, and you meet us in, your need, in our need. So, Father, we hallow your name for who you are, and we pray your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our hearts break for what's going on over in Ukraine. And we pray, Father, for your kingdom to come, that you would meet those who are losing life, that are suffering, those that are hurting, those that are oppressed. We pray for swords to be beaten into plowshares, for violence to end, for war to cease. We pray for moms and children who've been separated from their dads, families that have been displaced, homes that have been destroyed, Lord, we ask, we trust you, we know your plans for us are good plans, we trust your sovereignty, but Father, we recognize it is hard, and we hurt, so we come before you, surrendering to your will, but boldly asking for you to intervene. And Father, we pray for our loved ones here, part of our church family, we pray for those who have suffered loss. We ask, Lord, that you would comfort them. Father, you are the God of new mercies, the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort. Be with those who've recently experienced loss. Comfort them. Meet with them. Visit them in compassion. Lord, we pray for our dear friend Doug Hesse as he begins chemo treatments tomorrow. We ask, Father, for you to Display and manifest your power, your presence. Give him rest. Free him from any fear and anxiety. Strengthen and sustain. And we pray boldly for his healing. We pray for courage. We pray, Father, that you would be with all of those who are administering and coming alongside. We pray for Jean as well and ask that you would give her strength. We call upon you. We need... And we humbly ask for daily bread, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational. And Father, we pray that we would grow in our sanctification. We pray, Father, that you would lead us not into temptation. We recognize the truth of your word, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need continually to be delivered. And Lord, we acknowledge and we recognize and we praise you that the kingdom, the power, and the glory all belong to you. That it's not about us. We pray in this area, 
that you would build and advance and extend your kingdom through the advancement of the gospel. It is your work, and you've chosen us to be partners with you. We praise you for that. So we ask that you would use us in fulfilling the commission you've given us to make disciples of all nations. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
I want to say thank you to the deacons and to the men and to all of those who helped to put these screens up, get the projection all straight, to do everything. I got to tell you two things. First of all, I've been proud of myself. My ADD hasn't kicked in, that I haven't been like turning around all the time. So that's, that's one good thing. Second thing, biblically, now you'll always have hymnals, and if you want to read them, that's there for you. So we believe in options and all that. But you know, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, when Paul is talking about the practical Christian life, you know what he says to the church at Ephesus? There's a part of it when he talks about understanding the will of God, that's the context of it, and he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I've always thought to myself, and I love the hymnal, don't get me wrong, I love the hymnal. I use the hymnal, I have a hymnal at home, a hymnal here. So I, but there is something I love about everybody looking up. Because I feel like we are addressing each other. Saying, how great thou art, and we will feast in the house of Zion. And soon we're going to sing, breathe on me, O breath of God. And I get to see Ken addressing me and Dick's addressing Carlton. And we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I think that's pretty awesome. So I happen to like that. Now, we're going to pray, and you're going to look up here again. And this is going to get freaky because I'm like, y'all are looking up here. But we, we'll do this because we're going to pray and we're going to read the sermon text for today, which is Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Let's go to the Lord. Earlier in the service, the prelude was played that said, Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. That's my prayer as we go to this text, that Holy Spirit, you would shine the floodlight on Jesus and that we would see him. In this particular text, that we would see that the law of no fault of its own, but because of our own flesh, the law could not produce the salvation that was needed. We need Jesus, the only name under heaven by which we can be saved, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So open the eyes of our hearts and show us Jesus this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. The passage upon which our teaching is based this morning is Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Friends, I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Friends, this is the word of the Lord that has been given to us by God because he loves us. You hear me mention 
a lot that we are all creatures who are shaped by the stories that we're familiar with. We are creatures who are shaped by stories. Those stories that form us, that make us the men and women, boys and girls that we are, that become part of our overall story. Part of my story is that I happen to be a person who thrives and loves words of affirmation, words of blessing. It's just kind of, what was the book, Love Languages before? That's one of my love languages. I happen to love words of affirmation. So while on vacation, I'll tell you this brief story, Evie and I decided to get each other Apple Watches. Like series way back when, when they're real cheaper. Not series 4 billion when they cost however much they cost. Okay? So we get Apple Watches. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe this will motivate me to things that I should be doing. Like walking and exercising eating right and eating healthy and all. Notice how even my tone of voice changes, right? So I put the thing on, I get it, and I'm out walking yesterday. And all of a sudden, this thing beeps and star bright and stuff like that. And I look at my Apple Watch, and it says, Way to go, Jeffrey. You have reached your goal. Way to seize the morning. And I go, yes! <laughs> and Evie couldn't get me to sit still the rest of the day. Because I'm like, I got 14 other goals I got to reach here. I'm going to lose 30 pounds in six hours. I'm a man who is shaped by words of affirmation. Now, for the world of the Roman Christians, especially the Jewish Christians in that congregation, at Rome, for the nation of Israel, their life-shaping story was the story of the Exodus, the story of how Israel was liberated from their bondage in Egypt, their bondage to slavery, and delivered from one realm to another. So now imagine they're in the congregation, and they're hearing read, okay, we didn't have printing presses back then, they're hearing read verbally, orally, the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. So if you are a faithful Israelite, you're hearing Romans 6 tell the story of what to your ears sounds a lot like the Exodus, where you're brought from death to life, where you die to one realm and are liberated to another realm. The obvious next question, because what comes next in the story, the paradigm of the Exodus, is you're brought to Mount Sinai to what? Receive the law received the Ten Commandments. The nation of Israel received the law at Mount Sinai, which made them a privileged nation, the chosen people of God. It was a boundary marker for them. It separated them from every other nation. It is part of what made them them. It was part of their identity, and it signaled to the world that we belong to God. So when we've been hearing and reading in chapter 6 how you're set free... You're free from tyranny, you're free from bondage, you're free. The next question, the next logical question is, so what about the law? And Paul begins in chapter 7 with the words, Or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law. So in other words, I'm speaking to those who know the story, who've been shaped by the story. 
He's asking that question. He's writing to a people who through their union with Christ have left behind the land of slavery and have entered upon a new freedom. And so now, in Romans 7, as one writer put it, Paul is wrestling with the question of what happened at Mount Sinai and the problems that resulted leading to a strange new fulfillment of the law. Dan Allender, who's a writer I really like, says, stories don't always give us all the answer, but they always do offer perspective. Paul wants us not to eliminate the law, but to have a new perspective on the law. In other words, what is the Christian's relationship to the law? How does the Holy Spirit teach us in this passage the true relationship of the law and the relationship especially between the law and sin? And we're going to learn in two ways the relationship we have to the law and the law and sin. We're going to learn first through a fundamental principle and second through a surprising twist. So yes, there'll be a twist in the story. A fundamental principle and a surprising twist. Look with me at verses 1 to 3. Paul says, Do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, like we always do, we have to put this in context, right? What is Paul doing here? How does Romans 7 fit with Paul's overall argument in this section of the letter? Well, remember chapter 6, what he's just come through, he's rejecting certain false conclusions which can be derived from the teaching of the gospel. He has just said in chapter 6, verse 14, for sin will have, no longer have dominion over you. Why? Because you are under grace and not under law. Interesting. Sin will, have no, will no longer have dominion over you, not because you're doing every one of do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, but specifically sin will have no, no longer have dominion over you because you are in the realm of grace. In other words, he's answering or anticipating the question, should we continue a life of sin so that grace may increase all the more? And of course he says, by no means. The triumph of grace does not produce sin because the domain of sin has been definitively broken through our union with Jesus Christ, through our solidarity and our union with Jesus Christ. The problem here is not with the law, but with us. The problem is sin, not the law. So what does Paul do? He tells a story. He uses an illustration. Illustration of a married woman to make his point. And what is his point? He says, where a death occurs, it releases people from obligations under the law. One commentator put it, death brings a person out from under the rule of law. So like a married woman who, when her husband dies, is no longer bound by the law of marriage, she is then free to remarry. Now, there is an issue with how Paul states this illustration that, and this is what you pay me to do, read the commentaries, drives our trusted commentators crazy. Actually, it's fun for a guy like me, who's not all that smart, 
who's kind of looking and going, oh, these guys are flipping out over this. This is kind of fun to watch. Because they would expect Paul to say that she is free from the law when she dies. Not what the text says, though, is it? And so as some of our most trusted commentators point out, Paul's intention here is to not make a point-by-point correspondence, but to give a fundamental principle. And that principle, according to a man by the name of Thomas Schreiner, is one's relationship to the law changes when death occurs. One's relationship to the law changes whenever a death occurs. So as this commentator points out, Paul is explaining that the law itself could not give the life it promised, but instead was bound to work on the negative side of the equation. In other words, it's no fault of the law, but it's because of our flesh. It's because of the sin. So what is Paul doing? He is speaking to a people who have their whole lives been defined by the law. And he's looking at them and he's basically saying, how has that worked for you? Think of Israel's history, just to give an example. You would have thought if the law really would have worked, they would have received it at Mount Sinai and then they would have left, led a obedient, covenant-keeping, light-to-the-nations sort of life that they were called to, right? Is that their history? How many of you know your Old Testaments? They were so disobedient, it led them, they ended up in exile. I want us to look at our lives for a second, because again, we need to understand the framework that Paul is working from. He's again describing two types of humanity, those that are in Adam or in sin, and those who are in Christ or under grace. A Christian is one whose old self, the old man, has been crucified with Christ. Going back again to chapter 6, Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So we know that. We know that that happens. That fundamental change occurs when we become a Christian. But yet, Let's look at our lives for a second. Look at how many of us, including me, choose to live. We tend to live, don't we, with, oh, saved by grace, justified, crucified with Christ, no longer under the realm and tyranny of sin, saved not by law, not by works, but totally by grace. And that's the justification side. And then we come over here to the sanctification side, cultivate... And we seem to think, but now if I only had enough discipline, if I obeyed the law, if I followed all the right principles, how does that work for us? Does putting a law on yourself really ever work? Let me go back to my favorite area of life, dieting. Could that be my thorn in the flesh, maybe? Or maybe my 12 thorns in the flesh, I'm not sure. Does just saying... I have to have more discipline or beating myself up. Why am I not more disciplined? I should do better. Maybe if I find another program or another... Does that work? Well, it hasn't worked in my life. What's needed is a heart change from the inside out. Paul said it earlier. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That's why I shared the story. I resonate with words 
of affirmation, words of blessing. That's what motivates me. It is the same thing with believers. This is where Paul doesn't leave it there. He gives it a new surprising twist where he says in verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you all have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit to God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. In other words, the fundamental change has gone from external law to internal Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit shows you, communicates to you through all the means of grace, through the Word, through prayer, through the sacraments, through our fellowship. This is the point of our relationships together. This is what we ought to be doing with one another. Building up each other in Christ. Pointing out and applying to us how beautiful and wonderful and the wonders of Jesus Christ. Because if you look with me here, look what it says in verse 4. When it says, Likewise, my brothers, you, have all, you all have died to the law through the body of Christ. Notice the next words. So that. So that always indicates the purpose. In other words, you've died to the law for this purpose. And notice the purpose doesn't say so that you can now go do whatever you want. Live, be free. Sing, born free. Go out. That's not what it says. Notice the text. So that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. In other words, we've died to the law, not so we can be autonomous or independent, but so we can be married to Christ. Alan Noble has written a book recently. Alan Noble belongs to a PCA church out in Oklahoma, where Evie and I lived for several years. And he wrote a book that I would highly recommend. It's called You Are Not Your Own. And in it, he says, this is the fundamental lie of modernity, meaning of modern times, that we are our own. And he says, if you say you are your own and you belong to yourself, while that may sound empowering, it turns out to be a crushing responsibility, one that never actually delivers on its promise of a free and fulfilled life, but instead leaves us burned out, depressed, anxious, and alone. See, listen to this. It sounds so appealing, doesn't it? Do whatever you want, when you want. Live for yourself. You belong to yourself. Just sound, wow, no restrictions. Sounds Actually, that will crush you. You know why that will crush you? Because that is not how you were built and designed, and you're a creature. God's the creator. You didn't make yourself. That's not how the creator made you to live. So you're being like a fish out of water. To live for yourself is like being a fish out of water. Or Tim Keller gives the illustration, it's like being a remote control. Remote control, right, has a certain purpose, doesn't it? On my TV, its purpose is to turn on ESPN. There you go. It's fulfilling its purpose. If you use the up and down keys, the on-off switches, the channel and the volume, it's a comp. If I take the remote control 
and I bang it, guess what? It's going to experience disintegration because it's not living its purpose. The text says we've been released from the law, so the law is not going to help us live our purpose. It's not going to bring fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and security and glory and significance. So in the new covenant, in the fulfillment of the covenant by Jesus Christ, we've been released from the law, we've died to the law for this reason, so that you may belong to Christ, to him who's been raised from the dead. You're united to the one who's already been raised. That's why in one sense, you have already been raised. That's why it says in chapter 6 that you may walk in newness of life. Resurrection life. Resurrection power. It is not the law that's going to bring transformation. It is only union with Christ. It is only union with Christ that's going to begin to transform you. And why is that? Well, if you look at the next verse, it says, so for while we were living in the flesh, that's, remember, that doesn't mean your skin, your material self. That means your old man, the old self dominated by sin. It says, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit from the, for death. What does that mean, sin is aroused by the law? Well, again, there's nothing wrong with the law. It just means that the law does something. The law exposes something. The law exacerbates something. What does it exacerbate? It exacerbates sin. Let me give you two illustrations. I mentioned the screens earlier. I saw the countdown that was going on. So this, this illustration is not my sermon notes. This illustration came from my sinful heart as I saw that countdown going four minutes and 31 seconds, four minutes and 30 seconds. Four. So it's telling me I'm supposed to be somewhere. There's a law that's telling me be up here in four minutes and 29 seconds. You know what the law does in Jeff's heart? What if I'm a little late? What if it goes off and I don't make it in time? And you would think it's just because I'm loving people and greeting people. Oh, sinful. The Was there anything wrong with the countdown? Of course not. It arouses my sinful passions to be in control of my own life. Because here's what the flesh is characterized by. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I will do it myself. You're laughing, so you relate to that, right? Another illustration. If I had two doors up here, and one door said, free to enter, come on in, and the other door said, keep out. Which one are you leaning towards going into? How many of us are going into the keep out door for no other reason than it says keep out? Now, is there anything wrong with the law that says keep out? Of course not. It's the law. What's wrong? Our hearts. The law will not change you. The law will not transform you. The law is designed and built by God to show you you need Jesus. It is only Jesus that can transform us. 
which is why the text talks about the answer to the problem, verse 6. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. The Spirit who Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 14, brings glory to Jesus by taking from what is His and making it known to us. The Spirit. That's why every week, part of my prayer before the sermon is, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Because you know what the Holy Spirit's job is? To shine a huge floodlight on Jesus. And I want us leaving here each week, not being better people, but being greater lovers of Jesus. Because only Jesus will transform us. I pray that I can only effectively communicate the glory of Christ. And the only way to serve in the new way of the Spirit and bear fruit for God is to die to the law. And that's risky, and that's scary, because we like boundaries, don't we? We like clear and cut binaries, black and white. Do this, don't do this. It's very safe, very familiar, very, you know, keeps us... All of a sudden, you get this free from the law thing, and you kind of get, uh-oh, Jeff's becoming a hippie. Look out. Woo! No. Jeff loves Jesus and wants you to have Jesus because only Jesus will transform you to love God and love other people and love our city. One writer put it this way, and I'm going to close with this and summarize it this way. He says, We've died to the law and so have been cut loose from the ties with which it bound us to the solidarity of the old Adam forcing us like a woman bound to a husband to bear his children, which in this case means death. Instead, and hear the instead, we have been bonded to the Messiah in his new risen life so that we can bear a different kind of fruit. Fruit for God. The fruit of the Spirit. We are married to Christ. He's our bridegroom. We are his bride. We are the bride of Christ. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. We are united, we are incorporated into Christ so that we've died with him, been raised with him, and that we may walk in newness of life, that he's our bridegroom. And as our bridegroom, he goes through everything that we go through. He feels everything we feel. He lives in solidarity with us in our joys and in our pains, in our highs and in our lows, in our peaks and in our valleys. We belong to the one who has been raised from the dead, which means death no longer gets the final word, resurrection gets the final word. And that's your hope. We have been risen to new life. And now we have the ability to bear fruit reflecting the glory of God, the personality of God, the beauty of God, the wonder of Christ to a watching world. Not by the law, but by the gospel. Let's pray. Father, it can be a very scary thing we hear it as good news, and then we can so quickly revert back to 
living under law. It just comes naturally to us because it's familiar boundaries. This is good, this is bad. Help us to have in the forefront of our mind that the law will not change us. The law is a wonderful, beautiful thing that by the Spirit we keep the principles of it. We love you, we love other people, but that the law cannot be the power to change us. May we be a church that serves in the new way of the Spirit, married to Christ, who died and was risen again for his bride. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing our closing hymn this morning. Friends, I invite you to receive the Lord's blessing, the Lord's benediction, so that as you are blessed by the Lord, you may go out and be a blessing to the world. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.